everybody, and welcome to a very special episode of The Chat. Tonight is a best and worst look back at 2023 across all of your favorite TV shows, especially the soap operas, and we can't wait to hop into it. It's one of our most anticipated shows of the year, and we'll just have to wait and see what's in store. But before we hop into everything, let's check in on our co-host. Alan, how are you? Okay. Wonderful. Tiggs, how are you? I'm good. (laughs) Every week with him. Every week, I swear. Rodrigo, how are you, my dear? How you doing, Casey? Oh, how you doing, baby? Another best and worst this year. Oh, I know. Another year, huh? Another year. Oh, you you made me do my homework on this one, Casey, because this year was... Was not <laughs> soap operas, but I, I managed to get this list done. So let's go. We endured so much. We had people on strike from writers to actors. Y&R celebrated its 50th anniversary. GH celebrated its 60th anniversary. We had Soap Opera Digest seizing publication. We had a huge uh, executive producer scandal at Days of Our Lives. So there's so much to look back on. But let's start it out with who goes in front of that camera every day and acts out the words on the page. So let's start out with the category of Best Actress in a Daytime Drama Series. Alan, let's start with you. Who was your Best Actress choice this year? Haley Aaron, you know, restless. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Go for it. Tell us why. Thanks. You need to silence my phone. Anyway. Sorry, guys. (laughs) (laughs) I'm leaving that in. I am leaving that in. Oh, my God. Go ahead, Alan. I scheduled Claire as a character when she started, like, oh, this character's not going to last that long. She'll be gone in like six to nine months. But Josh Cruz actually had a plan. And Haley showed up and showed out, giving one of the best performances of the year. And as they played this right, Claire could be a character who generate enough story for the next decade. But she was incredible in the last few weeks. The best work she's probably she's ever done in her daytime career. I know people are going to be like, well, she didn't learn how to act until like the last year in her hospital. Whatever, she's a good actress now, and she deserves to be a best supporting actress next year. Category, do you think uh, she could have a shot at taking it home the trophy next year? And best supporting, yes, all right, yeah. I mean, Alan, that is a very surprising pick, but you know, it's a pick I think that is so true because. We said how riveted we were by those uh, scenes with Claire and Victoria and Cole and Jordan and Victor and Nick. And, I mean, she really did show up. She really did learn a thing or two from Mara to the damn West. So, yeah, Alan, I actually like your pick this year. Um, Rodrigo, let's go to you. Best actress, who you got? Oh, my God. Best actress. I had a really tough time with this one. I thought I had a, one clear winner. And then Melody to the damn Scott said, 
watch out. I'm still in this fucking game. I am still. <laughs> Shut up. I am still an actress on The Young and the Restless. And once you give me vodka, all bets are off. Melody Thomas Scott did the damn thing the last month and a half of this show. She has shown why she has been on this show since 1979. It is tragic that she's only been nominated one time in her whole life at YNR. And damn it, next year she is going to win this Emmy for Best Actress because she is giving you the work of her life. I have Finoli Hughes taking this category until they they straight up just Josh Griffith turned that storyline full throttled, got Colleen Zenkin, Haley Aaron's just acting her ass off, but it's Melia Thompson Scott. When you give her that vodka, when you give her something to sink her teeth into that's not business, you're going to have a ball game. And Melia Thompson Scott is just proving she is still in this game and she's still the best actress on that show. Nice pick. Well, Tiggs, let's hand things over to you. Tiggs, who is your best actress pick? I had a feeling someone was going to say Melody, and I and I do agree. Like, going without that makeup alone, that took courage and bravery. Good acting skills to go with it. But I'm going to go for my second runner-up, and that's Arian Zucker. Nicole has had baby rabies off and on for 15 years. And every goddamn time they need to make Nicole cry over a fucking baby, Arian sells that shit hook, line, and sinker, no matter how shitty the story is, no matter how wonky it is. You give Arian a dead, a missing baby, and the desperation and the, and the, the somberness, and oh, she does the damn thing. Like, you can always count on her to write out a check her ass can cash. I hope this is the final baby story from Nicole. But nonetheless, she is knocking it out of the park. One of the few nice things I can say about Dave's Waller Office this Nice. Well, for me, I, I'm not going to lie to you all. I changed who I wanted for this category four different times. It's just the women in this genre, no matter what, continue to bring it and continue to do fabulous work. I mean, that lead actress category next year is going to be, I think, one of the biggest fights we've ever seen. Um, I even had a tie, but, you know, Rodrigo, you said Melody, and I'm going to list her as an honorable mention there. I mean, that is one of my favorite actresses ever. Um and kudos to her. She definitely needs to walk away with that Emmy trophy next year. Um, and they need to not play in her face there. Um, but the more I thought about it, the more I went with the person that I think this will have a deeper meaning. And so my best actress of 2023 is Suzanne Rogers uh, from Days of Our Lives. I felt between the news of Victor's passing to going up against Louise Sorrell shortly after Victor's funeral episodes, to the amazing 50th anniversary almost standalone episode. 
and just to the day-to-day stuff, you know, worrying about uh, Sarah and Xander and never backing down and this whole Constantine plot. I mean, Suzanne Rogers, it just goes to show why she's been a household name for 50 years and just how far she's come from, you know, her days of being in New York City and as a Rockette into auditioning originally to be waitress Sally McGuire on The Young and the Restless to here we are now. She's gone from the lady who stepped out in crutches to greet Mickey at the farm all the way till now. She is the, to me, the matriarch of Salem, USA. Um, I love Suzanne Rogers. Um, she's an amazing actress. She just connects emotionally to the material so well. And there's nobody like her in daytime. She is a legend and at the top of her game 50 years later. Go away, buddy. <laughs> oh my God. Um, are we ready, you guys? Because you all know what's up next. And that is worst actress. In a daytime drama series for 2023. Rodrigo, let's start this category with you, my dear, because I know you love it so much. Oh my God. <laughs> Go ahead, baby. Oh, this baby, she is a beautiful girl, but a girl did not know where she was. And by the time they figured it out, they wrote her out. And that was Akitra Civilian, who played. Talia on Days of Our Lives. Oh, um, child, I was even like, who was that? I know. <laughs> I oh, okay, I was sure about to ask. Uh, was, she the, who? was she the real hook on GH? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she was one of yeah. um, Blades' backup dancers. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> and baby, if I, if I, as she goes by Kiki, that's her middle name, but her, her acting that is Akitra Civilian. If I butcher the name, baby, I'm sorry. But, but, boo, they brought this girl in as a so-called doctor. First of all, I did not believe that. Why did you make her a doctor? That was step, that was number one fail. Number two, you do not put a newbie and another newbie on a front burner storyline doing dastardly shit. And I don't give a fuck about any of this. It just, it broke every rule of daytime of what not to do. And poor Keitra, she just, they just didn't know what, they didn't know what to do with this character. She didn't know what she was doing. There was no direction. She's supposed to be a doctor. And I'm like, I wouldn't let you take my vital signs, girl. Like, I would not let you touch me. Um, because the shit they had her doing was just ridiculous. She's getting led by this man. She's supposed to be smart doctor. I'm like, I hate when they make doctor characters like this. I'm like, wait, no. No, and then the black one on top of that, no. Dumb, dumb and dumber. It was nothing. It was stupid. And Homegirl did not deserve that mess. She, and I'm sure if she gets on another show, she's going to be much better off because it was the writing and direction just did not do her any favors whatsoever. Yeah, when you have doctor characters, if they're not like being a doctor and upstanding, the only thing they need to be is a batshit crazy motherfucker like Kimberly Shaw was. You don't make them pathetic and whiny and needy and desperate. 
you make them batshit fucking crazy and blow up apartment complexes. Either one, and they didn't know what to do with this girl, and then, and then they try to make her, you know, put her the lesbian route. That didn't work, and then she crying. She didn't even get the cat. She didn't even lit the cat, and she crying over um that girl, oh, <laughs> over uh uh what's her name? Yeah, crying over Chanel. She didn't even get the cat, and then she but sleeps she with got Sean, the dick, <laughs> Sean. And then, which that could have been potential if they played it right, but then she went back to being a sad sack and <laughs> not uh, a sad sack. Yeah, and then like she's supposed to be a doctor again. Why did they make her a doctor? Then it make no sense. Like I never believed that she was a doctor. Where, like, Mrs. They... Brady, I'm so sorry. Yeah. with your bad. husband. Oh, that was bad. I just got through those episodes. <laughs> bad. That was bad. Poor Deirdre. Deirdre probably was probably like, "What the hell did I do?" That they stuck me in these her pieces. and Martha Madison. They just looked at this little girl like, "What the hell is that? What am I doing? What are they Martha, doing?" Martha that, Madison looked like at her and said, "This is what y'all. This is what y'all dealt with with Charity Raymond." But like, you slept with that fine ass man, and you're still calling his wife Mrs. Brady. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Girl, you are 25 oh, years old. It's going Mrs. Brady. I hope, homegirl, I hope you make it to greater success somewhere else. But this Child, she needs to go bad. work at Burger King or something because uh-huh. she don't need to be in front of a camera. She didn't, she didn't have her way on this show. I'm sorry. It was bad. Just just, just go on Zeus, baby. Just go on Zeus and beat somebody's ass to, to pay for BBL, okay? <laughs> the Tyler Perry's sister. Or Tubi or something. Because this oh, ain't... hit up Tyler Perry. You can, you can be on sisters, you can be one of these real sisters. Well, I say that. Remember that girl, Nefessa Williams? That was on one night. Oh, yes. yes. She yes. won on a great face, so I can't yes, say she, did. she may not go on to something bigger and better because sometimes it is the writing in the direction. No, I get it. Like with Taylor Sprite, like she was god off on days, but she was great on Melissa and Joey. I'm like, girl, yeah. what the fuck you know how to act? Shit. So Sometimes it's not the actress. Sometimes it's and that damn Lindsay Morgan. Lindsay Morgan was god off on GH, but then she now went to CW and yeah. woke the fuck up. Well, See? Yeah. well Rodrigo, I'm sorry to that baby because I didn't know that name when you said that. I, said, <laughs> I didn't either. I'm just saying, who the hell is that? You said Vanessa A. Williams. I'm like, I'm <laughs> like, like, I don't know what that is, baby. Was she one of Willow's cancer nurses? Yes. Like, who the hell is that? <laughs> Oh, Lord. Um, well, coming for worst actress for me, coming in for that category. Who? This is a, a young lady who I actually loved in the beginning. I thought she was a breath of fresh air to her particular show. And when things got rocky in the acting department, I, you know, I was like, well, you know what? Maybe it is directing and writing. But now she can't even do two plus two anymore. Simple math has flown out the window. And that is none other than Allison Lanier on The Young and the Restless. I, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, Lord, you know what, you know what sealed the deal for me, Rodrigo? The roller coaster. It was the roller coaster. That's it, well, it just wasn't the CGI roller coaster, believe it or not. <laughs> Her fate was sealed before that. And I, I kid you not, when this scene aired, 
even though it was months ago, I said to myself, I said, that's my worst actress pick on the podcast in December. It was when Phyllis appeared to her in Chancellor Park, of all places, when Phyllis was still faking her death because we just appeared to people, you know, at the park by Starbucks. And they had Allison Lanier as the cliffhanger lean up against this tiny ass railing and go, Mom! I said, no. No, baby. No. So, yeah. Allison Lanier, I'm sorry to you, sweetheart. You are the worst actress of 2023 in my book. Um, this, I know. This I know. It's boring to me. I think that the performances are boring. They don't know what to do with the character of Summer. And and I liked her better when she was that bitch on wheels skate when Hunter when Hunter was playing her. She came back in that Merry Man's car and all that shit. Like I like that summer because she has she had some legs, she had some spitfire, she was just like like a mini Phyllis. And this one is just judgmental and and dresses and blouses and high waisted annoying and awkward with chance and some and Sharon and like she doesn't <laughs> want to be like her mother, but then she's acting like her mother and I'm like mm. I don't know and no direction. Kyle Kyle don't want to undo her because he's getting some of that that Latina dust over there. Like I I, I just it's nothing for summer. And Alice is not really. She, she looks like Michelle Stafford, but it's just this. She ain't there. It's not there no more. I don't know what happened. And like I said, she went so downhill. Like, not even. Like, you can't even blame that on the writing anymore. I'm sorry. You just can't. Like, I. It's just. It's rough. I mean, it's. Um, but Tiggs, let's go to you. Worst actress of 2023. What's your pick? Child, I glanced at a few scenes and I said, nope, 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 nobody, nope. And that was that holiday Kringle in General Hospital. I don't know what that was because <laughs> first of all, she, she didn't have the look of Molly anyway. Molly ain't some, uh, you know, 25 year old punk rocker chick that has the OnlyFans that she posts on the weekends. <laughs> And it's just like no, and not not just by her look, just I, them. Say, mm-mm, mm-mm. Now say what you want about Brooke Ann Smith. Brooke Ann Smith was just too goddamn old for the role, but she could act. That holiday <laughs> Kringle child Christmas is canceled, baby. Mm-mm. No, because <laughs> you know what? Hell, what home when the, that girl did her little her little legal activities, and they had to go and find someone to play Molly. I, I swear to God, they just, they went on the streets, saw her walking somewhere. They said, girl, get in this car. We need okay, to get in We need some, we got some films. We got some scenes of film, girl. Come in here. <laughs> that child said, was, that? She, they found her at the mall. She was walking outside a hot topic and said, here, here, kitty, kitty. Here, kitty, kitty. <laughs> you want to be on TV? Here, kitty, kitty. Look. Vivian Giovanni was working the cash registers and trying to warn her, don't go to the soap operas. You'll be out of a job soon. Baby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Talk about like it. I said, cause like I said, Brooke Ann Smith lasts longer than her. And 
But that's just because the story was just being stupid and stubborn. Like I said, Brooke Ann Smith had actually just too goddamn old for the world. Yes, Andrea Zuckerman Lansing is who they replaced her with. Okay. But, Even Anthony Braun said, shit, I think I went to school with this motherfucker. Well, remember, remember Nancy Lee liked my tweet. <laughs> okay, shit. Now they got Christina Vagados. Finally. Much I... better. Yeah. Shit. Oof. And she can actually act too. So, first you get a bad actress, Th- then you get a, an, a good actress that's too goddamn old. It's like this porridge was too cold, this porridge was too hot. Now we got this new little girl, and finally the porridge is just right. Well, I don't blame the show. I, I, I don't blame the show for that. It's that little girl, that little, I ain't gonna say her name. Miss DUI, uh, it's your fault. Um, <laughs> you don't have to scramble and like. No, it's it's the fault of Frank Valentini because y'all got the best casting director in the motherfucking business. He should have let Mark Tester do his job instead of doing all that goddamn meddling that he did. Your job is to produce, produce, bitch, and leave the casting to Mark. Which I, I mean, sometimes sometimes the best casting director they they have some blunders and boo boos. And they had a couple of boo-boos till they got to the best, you know, to the third, you know, third time the charm. Like they finally a lot found of them bad funny. casting the decisions at over the last few years been Frank. Cause he won't let Mark do his job. Calling up Josh Kelly and shit on freeway and shit. You want a job? But in this situation, say you gotta admit, like, they didn't expect their actress to have a DUI and get in legal trouble. And almost kill somebody. Almost kill somebody. Now they got to scramble and try to get an act, another actress to fill this role. They weren't looking for another Molly for this part. So I And then they a- got Brooke Ann Smith and they cast a little girl who could have been Molly as some stupid ass nanny. Please. But they wrote the wrong. Brooke Ann gone. Now we got a better Molly. But yes, that was a struggle to get to that Molly. It was a struggle. But Hey. Well, let's head over to Alan. Alan, worst actress, who you got? Brooke Ann Smith. <laughs> Shut <Yeah>. up. <laughs> no way, are you serious? I am. Well, well goddamn, Alan, the only, only mistake was taking a job and being born in 1984. Shit. But anyway, I don't think Brooke Ann Smith is a bad actress. She just miscast. And they just had her. It was just very annoying that see Molly, Molly fucking doing that fucking baby voice, cuddling a stuffed animal, and she's a 40-year-old woman. That was terrible. It's not her fault, though maybe it is her fault for, for t- trying to for a role that she shouldn't have. So I guess that's all her and her agent as well. So uh, if you are okay. 25, you shouldn't have watched it with 25-year-old roles. No, nah, broke ass said my rent was due. I don't care if this bro was for a 15-year-old. I'm going to take it because I need to pay this rent. I don't blame her for it. I do not blame her. I blame the show for those directions. Yeah, the Teddy really. She would have made a really good temp recast Felicia if Christina Wagner wanted to cash in her vacation days. But She could have been Lulu. No, I know. Like I said, that child could have been Lulu or Serena Ball. Yeah, either one of those two cats. She, if they give her a little time, the audience can forget. <laughs> Maybe next year, 
Oh, Ain't here we go no, again. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. I'm tired of GH and Days doing that bullshit. If she gets another job on the show, she can carry her ass over the days and be nowhere else Curtis Cass Brady. I'm tired of that recycle shit. I don't give a fuck if they was on the show for five seconds. I'm tired. Shit. Finally. All these up-and-coming actors and unemployed actors out here, we keep recycling the same 13 motherfuckers. Well, I don't think she's a bad actor. She wasn't the worst actor. No, she, no, was she wasn't a bad actor. She was just too it's goddamn. A bad role. It's a bad role. That, that kills me. That Tiggs and Allen picked Molly's. <laughs> uh, well, let's head over to a little more of a positive note. Best actor in a daytime drama for 2023. Tiggs, let's start with you. Who you got? John motherfucking Lynchman. I just, he's one of the, the last of a dying breed. Like, to be able to, the way he turns it on when he has to be Ryan, the way he turns it on when he has to be Kevin, it, it, it's, it, it's like a, a David Canary, Martha Byrne, Erica Slazak type of thing. Like, you know, you, you, you get certain actors who are okay playing twin roles and stuff like that. But no, John Lindstrom, it's like Kevin and Ryan were two different people. And whenever you did see him, you could tell it was Ryan. You could tell it was Kevin. You can tell it was Ryan imitating Kevin. And that's acting. And I've always loved John Lindstrom. And even like on Port Charles, and you know, they kind of made Kevin die at Ryan, which I hated. He still put his all into it. Um, but yeah, like with the whole Esme and Heather thing, like. It was ridiculous, but he made it work. Him and Haley Mills, they made it work. They took that shit, made it sweet enough to eat. Yes, they did. No notes. That was a really, really good pick. Oh, goodness. John Lindstrom. I just, you're right, Tiggs. He's like in that generation of soap opera actor that is some of the best of the best and just started at like a height of the genre that was an unforgettable time and so yeah good pick well best actor to me is another legend of daytime soap this year and somebody who i was very impressed by and somebody who at their age can still be at the top of their game and that is Eric Braden on The Young and the Restless. I felt as though Eric Braden really really stepped it up this year and made old material feel fresh. There were incredible scenes between Victor and all of his children. Um even how Eric was acting during the um like kidnapping with Nikki and uh, Aunt Jordan and Claire Eve. Um, just amazing. I mean, I can't say enough amazing things about how Eric Braden really brought this entire feast to the table this year. Um, I know the stories weren't usually our favorites, but I mean, he's shit into sugar. I mean, he is the definition of a soap opera legend. Um, he is the great and powerful Victor Newman. So Eric Braden, absolutely incredible job this year. 
Uh, Alan, let's go to you. Best actor, who you got? Linda Ashby, Young and Restless. Oh, good pick. He's, yeah, he show, he's only there for, back for a short time, but he showed up and shook shit up because for like only a month, he put in a hell of a performance. And he played Cameron so well because he had a pathos in his performance because you could tell that even though Cameron was out of his fucking mind, in his own way, he thought he was doing what was best for Cher. Like, like he truly loved her in his own sick way. And that was just fascinating to watch. It was appointment television. <laughs> and yeah, the ick factor. I mean, he made my skin crawl, like in every single scene. Oh, it was so like deliciously crafted in his performance. Well, Rodrigo, let's go to you. Best actor, who you got? Uh, well, my best actor this year took me by surprise, um, but it's Dan Figueroa of Days of Our Lives. Uh, this year he became E.J. DeMera to me. Uh, I don't think about James Scott anymore. When it comes to EJ, Dan has taken over this role, made it his own. The performances this year with him, EJ thinking Susan died, like that performance was heartbreaking. And with the baby dying with Nicole as well, Dan is just showing you a side of EJ that you want to see, the, the growth with EJ, the vulnerable side. You know, yes, he's, a, he's an evil person son of a bitch, but he has that human side as well. And Dan just brings that to brings it to light. And I enjoy his scenes with Susan because his EJ actually liked his mother as opposed to, to uh, James Scott's EJ who couldn't stand Susan. But finally they show right of that wrong because Susan was a good mother to EJ, so I never understood why he hated her so much. So I just enjoyed that aspect of it. So and I hopefully Dan next year will put his name in the right category because he is not a supporting actor. He is a lead of this show. So hopefully he will get it right next year. Always a good pick. I adore Dan Fugarigal. And yeah. Like you said, Rodrigo, you don't make me think about James Scott either. I'm sorry. Like, Dan is so EJ DeMera through and through. Well, let's hop in to another fun category we love, which, of course, is Worst Actor in a Daytime Drama Series in 2023. I'll kick things off here, and I am selecting somebody who I never changed from this category. This was always my pick. And that is Peter Port, Days of Our Lives. I was shocked and surprised with how comically bad he was this year. Um, I was a huge fan of Peter's on The Young and the Restless when he played Ricky. And so I was actually very happy uh, when I heard, you know, seven years ago, uh, when he was coming to Days of Our Lives. And, yeah, I mean, the writing also played a part, sure, because the story was god-awful, but he was god-awful, too. He just added 
nothing. I didn't understand the thought process behind how he approached the material. I didn't understand all this wide eye acting he was doing all the time. Um, it was just very weird choices. Um, and I'm like, well, lucky that's your pretty baby. So, yeah, Peter Port, Days of Our Lives. Uh, Tiggs, let's go to you. Who was your worst actor pick? I'm pretty sure it ain't going to be changing until a miracle happens. But goddamn, Tanner Norton, I done told you, motherfuckers. The boy can't act. I don't know why the hell he won't take no fucking acting classes. He's standing right there next to Kimberly Brown every goddamn day. Anytime I glance at Bo, it's been three fucking years. And he's still lost. Looking like his mama dropped him off somewhere and he's still trying to find his fucking way back home. Shit. Somebody call Darnell Williams. Hasn't he been your pick since he started on the show? Yes. Hasn't this been like an annual thing? Now? Yes. <laughs> look, look, now, look, even the little boy playing Zenday then finally woke the hell up. What the fuck? Oh, God. Shit. That boy went, like I said, he went to go kick it with his black cousins. He got a haircut, learn how to act. Lieutenant Alvin got some black cousins. Shit. Go get a oh. fade and learn how to act. Honey, I, I don't think, I don't think he does. Oh, Lord. <laughs> well, Rodrigo, let's go to you. Worst actor, who you got? Okay, another actor. I had to look up this person's name, too. Uh, Jasper Newman, who played Colin on Days of Our Lives. That yeah, was... What are you coming up with these names every time you say somebody? <laughs> oh, okay, you said Jasper Newman. I'm like, did Victor have another kid? I said, who the hell was that? Jasper Newman again with along with Akitra Civilian <laughs> Jasper Stu Newman. Another character that we did not need on Days of Our Lives again. Why was this necessary? This calling. And Talia nonsense with who ended up being that girl's brother, uh, Sloan. And it's all it was all a hot mess. He was doing all type of villainy shit and this mustache whirling madness. And I was like, no, no, if you were gonna do that, you should have got a name actor to play this role instead of some newbie that no one's gonna care about. And you cast another newbie in that Talia role, no one cared about. And you, it was just madness. It was madness all around. So, this baby that nobody knows, I'm sorry, Jasper Newman. Uh, hopefully, you go on to something bigger and better because this, I would leave this off your resume if I were you. Leave it off. <laughs> leave it off. Not leave it off the resume. <laughs> God. It never happened. It never happened. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Lord. Well, Alan, let's go to you. Who is your worst actor of 2023? Trevor St. John. I'm fucking tired of it. Oh. His lazy ass to he was great. Trevor, I knew it. <laughs> Ooh, well. He said he paid thousands of dollars in episode. You know, he isn't cheap. 
to just sit there and look bored. And I don't even think that's even a fucking page. I'm tired of it. He's giving that act he did the last few years of life to live, where he's over it. And he's just taking the paycheck and not doing anything or being required for Zakrita Silver and Michael Mueller to carry his ass. Even Michael Mueller's carrying your ass, Trevor. That's sad. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Why, every time I see Trevor on my screen, I'm like, why are you here? <laughs> why did you take this job? I know, I know why you took this job. CBS check money is some good money. I get it. CBS daytime check is still good in 2023. But that man sits around like he does not give a care in the world. He just was paid to be here. He, you know, he he was forced to be here. He, <laughs> he, he signed the contract where he shouldn't have signed or something, because it's it's not it's not happening. I hope I I'm smelling a who killed Tucker story because I need this to happen right away. Cause I mean I'm hoping I for every day. Where's <laughs> that called Tucker? The I mean Trevor, the best actor in the rest. Oh yeah, lord, best I actor. Oh. oh lord, I saw that mess, Alan. I said, who the fuck was lying to you? <laughs> oh my lord. Well, there's a lot of actors you can say the best actor in the rest. You can say Belgian Scott. You can say Eric Brage. It's your case. There's a lot of good actors on the show. He's not one of them. Oh yeah, like. Honestly, to me, Wyandar has one of the best casts in daytime um, and in TV, period. But it ain't because of whom. He he ain't carrying no, no part of the show. Oh, Lord. Well, let's hop into the storyline aspects of daytime dramas this past year. Um, let's kick things off with best storyline of 2023 in a daytime drama series. Rodrigo, let's go to you. Who you got? Or what do you have, rather? <laughs> well, I do have a best and honorable mention, if that's okay. The best... The best storyline for me, just in terms of social media, um, interaction, and a fan base that waited forever for something to happen, um, adventure-wise, and that was the Sprina Cassadine adventure over the summer. Uh, Victor Cassadine's plot for world domination of weather or whatever the hell he was trying to do <laughs> with the weather. You know how cool the cast lines are. It didn't really matter to me because this storyline brought a lot of characters together. It harkened back to the days of the Ice Princess and the good old days of General Hospital. And you throw in this young, popular couple, Sprina, Spencer and Trina, who, like it or not, they have a lot of weight on, have a lot of social media presence, especially on Twitter. The Sprina fans, they are a lot of them. They are loud, they're opinionated, they make their points clear. And this adventure led eventually to their New York adventure. Uh, 
where they finally had sex, but this was just the beginning of seeing young love. And this was very general hospital where you see a young couple on the run doing adventure stuff and you mix them in with the older characters. You anchor it with Laura, who was part of the original Cassidine Ice Princess storyline. And you make it a full circle moment. And it was just the right amount of adventure and and whatnot. Um, I had to edge it out over Nikki's uh, alcoholism, you know, our alcoholism kidnapping story, which, you know, Young and the Restless, you took until the last two months to actually do something. <laughs> but it, it's just the Cassidine storyline with Spring and Victor Cassidine and the whole culmination and him dying and everything. That was just well done. It was very GH. Um, and it was, it was a fun storyline for the summer. Yeah, there was a lot after that happened, which was great. They just had fucking they're talking about the damn baby for months. Right. I mean, look. <laughs> Take the gotta, gotta give the good to bad. I mean, this this was the good part of it. Like that was yeah. classic GH for me. Like you said, take the good, take the bad, and we're, we'll take the good here. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Well, Rodrigo, I mean, I'll just go ahead and go because you actually named my best story as your honorable mention of sorts, uh, which, of course, was Eve's unknown sister, Jordan, takes her revenge on the Newmans, on the Young and the Restless. Um, I mean, it, it was almost the Cameron story, but I just thought that this Eve story played so well it played on a lot more history um it was a bit bigger in scope in my opinion um i would have loved it had they built it up like for just one month longer but the story is still going um it's still causing ripple effects and it was just brilliantly acted by so many soap powerhouses and then to get colleen zank i mean this just couldn't have been anybody. In my opinion, for this role, they always needed somebody who audiences connected with. And I'm so happy they chose a CBS soap legend from the past. Um, I just thought Colleen came in guns blazing. I thought the flashbacks were accurately um, depicted to what was going on in the story to explain who Eve was. Um I loved the Claire and Eve Jr. aspect. Um, it was just brilliantly crafted. And, of course, the cherry on top of the Sunday was Melody Thomas Scott, in my opinion. Um, just really giving it her all to really help sell this story. And so kudos to every actor, every writer, not, you know, just Josh, but the people who wrote the scripts with such brilliant dialogue um, and really made this OMG, WTF, you know, all those WTF moments seem believable and real and powerful. Y&R um, really hit the mark. Uh, Alan, let's go to you. Best story of 2023. What do you have? We're at Soap Twitter nodding and talking about Leon Russell's which was the Claire story. 
good on Josh for actually actually talking with the president of CBS or whatever about something which led to this. It led to him talking to the producer about, oh, Victoria had that baby. Of course, Josh probably should have known that Victoria had a baby in 1998. Says he's been head writer for three damn times, but whatever, I'm going to take my wins. This was a good story, as years of potential ahead of it if they don't fuck it up. Because I don't want them being cool, all being cool players six months from now. Because she's just fucking trying to poison half them. It should be years before where Victoria and Nick, I mean, Nikki and Victor accept Claire. Obviously, Victoria's going to have to be leading the way for them accepting her. Eve was a wanted child. This is not every Kane on all my children, where she was raped at 14 years old when she had Kendall. Because Victoria wanted Eve, and Eve only lasted, what, like a day after the C-section? So, yeah, there needs to be a years-long process for her to be integrated into the family. Alan, we see each other there. <laughs> and I agree, it needs to be years because there's so much long story to play out. And I really hope that they do play it for the long story. Uh, Tiggs, let's go to you. Best storyline, what do you got? Oh, the Claire story. But like, it, I, I didn't know what was going to happen when Haley Aaron joined. I didn't know who this character was supposed to be. What was like? I, I thought maybe she could have been Cameron's daughter. You know, I, I was hoping Nicholas didn't accidentally nut in somebody off screen in high school. It, it, it was a pleasant surprise of who she ended up being. And just Colleen Zink has been a breath of fresh air. It's so great to see her back. And it, I'm excited to watch Ryan Arrow on the day they are. Because today they wasn't on. Besides Mamie, I couldn't tell you what was really enjoyable about the episode. But, like, uh, yeah, like, it, it, you could just tell Colleen is having the time of her life. Haley Aaron is present in here. You know, J. Eddie Peck is back. It feels like Cole never left. Amelia Hindley's on it. Melody Thomas Scott is on it. Like, everything is firing on all cylinders. Let's just keep this going. I want Jordan to cause as much damage as she can while she's there. Without a doubt. Well, let's hop into the flip side of things, however. The worst storyline of 2023. Alan, why don't you kick us off here? What is your worst storyline pick? Oh, sorry, Alan. We'll start with you there. Oh, I guess he don't know he on mute. Okay, Rodrigo. Let's start <laughs> with you. <laughs> Rodrigo, what is your worst storyline pick? Oh, my God. So, oh, my God. This was a year of horrible stories on soaps, unfortunately. And I had a three-way tie, but I can't. Oh, Lord. I have three choices, Casey. I'll just name them three quick. Um, Eric is dying on the Bold and the Beautiful. Mix that with 
Bill and Ridge's fiasco of an FBI undercover work to take down Sheila Umbold, and you mix in Bowen Hope's return on Days of Our Lives. Um, out of those three, the one that disappointed me the most was Bowen Hope's return. Um, Beyond Salem, Chapter 2, great job of bringing Bonehole back to the forefront, you know, the reunion and uh, and whatnot. But when you actually were to actually bring them back to Salem, it failed on all cylinders and viewers' times were wasted. Um, yeah, I think that was the most disappointed. The dumbest is Eric is dying storyline. How do I care about a man that's dying? Well, I don't know what the fuck Eric Forrester is supposed to die, is supposedly dying of. And this is the most fumbled storyline where it could easily been the greatest storyline had it been done right. You have Eric Forrester dying. All those kids, all that Forrester history could have been played where you could have had those adult kids, even the grandkids, battling over that damn company while Eric has died. It was right there to write. The easiest shit you could ever write in life. No, we spent time on a dumb competition between Eric and Ridge where Ridge lies to Eric and says, you won. So Eric could be an asshole about it and talk about this is my office and talk about family and whatnot. And then he wants people to see him working, even though he can't really work because he's dying. So what is the point of you going to this office if you're dying? None of this shit makes sense. The combination with this big party didn't make sense. Now they're in the hospital. It's even not even... It's not even making it's bigger, not even it's not making any more sense than it started with of this storyline. It is atrocious. It is bad. And I, the only thing I said that could solve or help this storyline is if you reveal that Sheila Carter has been making Eric sick for months, or she is Eric's only hope of survival, and she hangs that over the heads of the forces. That's how you could save this storyline. But until then. This was one of the worst storylines that Bold has ever told. Well, and none of it, like, went with anything. Like, it just seemed like they said, we're going to rush to make this storyline the center of attention, but not do anything. Like, you're telling me Rick, Kristen, and Felicia are on safari, and they don't care that... Their father is dying, even though they've lost their mother, and they all rushed home when their mother was on her deathbed. Like, no, these writers, stop using Africa as an excuse. Stop it. Please. I don't want Africa to use no more <laughs> for excuses. We're talking about the lions. Ooh. What? Rick, Kristen, and Felicia. First of all, when did Rick ever hang out with? Never, never. <laughs> like that. And it's realistic that 
Rick is like the one of the youngest in the family. Sometimes the youngest in the family, they don't hang out with their old ass siblings. Like, I mean, we don't do that. It doesn't happen like that. No. So you had time to find you a Rick. And you have Leslie Kay out there. You have Tracy Melchild. You can get somebody else in this row for those Kristen and uh, Felicia. You haven't made one mention that Ridge is not even a Forrester for real. He is a Maroney. And Thorne should be using that. Like, why isn't Thorne and Ridge not fighting over this? Why isn't Burke and Ridge having conflict over Eric's? Uh, situation, especially Brooke. They act like Brooke and R Eric weren't married and they have kids together. Like, Brooke was just a major part of Eric's life than anyone and everyone else in that family. And they don't play that. It's just, you. there's so many missing beats in the storyline. It's just what can they do to even save it? It's horrible. It's a horrible storyline. I love seeing John McCook up front and center where he should be. But I can tell from him, he's like, I don't know what the fuck I'm playing. Like, he doesn't even know what he's playing. <laughs> it's like, you can tell. We don't know what Eric is dying from. What is he dying from me to care? Donna, you're not married to the man. Why do I care about your feelings? Like, you're not even Mrs. Forrester. Like, what are we doing? Exactly. And Brooklyn arguably the glove of Eric's life. Not really Stephanie. Because let's be real. Oh, Stephanie. But, I mean, I said months and months ago, I said last year that um, it should have been Brooke and Eric having that affair instead of Donna. I'm like, they just threw Jennifer Gary's in that to bring her back to the show to meet a guarantee or some shit. Because it was so stupid. It's like, Donna goes back to having an affair with Eric. He's 80 and she's 50. Like, please. You got John McClure doing interviews talking about this. Storyline is like a, a love story for Eric and Donna. John, no. <laughs> what love story? <laughs> uh, John. Don't say that. Like, you can't justify the storyline yourself. Like, he's just coming up with shit. Because no one can justify what the storyline's about. It's missing so many pieces. Like, why isn't Kimberly Brown involved in this? What is she doing that she's been off for like a month? <laughs> not even involved in any type of and you had uh, what, what's her name run off to Italy because she was scared of Sheila Sheila didn't do nothing so that, I like this could have been a storyline where Sheila could have held she could have held the upper hand like yes I made Eric sick and if you want the cure you're going to have it was right there Yes, it was the whole time. Uh, but art most things on the bold and the beautiful right there. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, goodness. Well, Alan, do you agree with Rodrigo's pick or did you have something different? My favorite war story is fucking Sheila on Bold and Beautiful. I'm tired of it. It's been two fucking years. It was on the cycle of Sheila shows up. She says she's changed. This just looking crazy. She goes to jail. She comes out. She's changed again. And now you have Deacon like telling Hope, oh, she's changed. I keep her in line. She's changed, Hope. She sucks my balls now, so she's a good woman. Fuck you. 
to be fair, I would also suck Sean Kanan's balls. Well, but yeah, I just, I'm tired of the cycle with Sheila. Like you always say, Alan, she's been back on the show since Betty White was still alive and ain't nothing happened. She's not the type of character that you see around definitely, like it's hanging around. She's not meant for that. She's no. too fucking evil. Exactly. Oh, goodness. But at this point, you know, Brad loves her way too much. So we're stuck with her. <sighs> well, coming in for worst storyline for me of 2023. And boy, was there a lot to choose from. But I'm going with a story that really offended me personally as a gay viewer of soaps. I thought there were moments of the story that were very transphobic. And that is Leo and Dimitri's affair on Days of Our Lives. Um, from not taking it seriously to treating your gay viewers as throwaway stereotypical characters, um, they took a really inventive idea that could have been fun and could have been really soapy and dramatic um, and just made it really disgusting, like I said, transphobic, because I thought the whole thing with Leo dressing up as Gwen, it's like, we don't do that. Like, that, like the show should have never done that. That was very transphobic. Um, I just, this whole thing was a mess. The story was stupid. And on top of it, in the middle, during the story, we find out that I guess Carly Manning now makes Lindor truffles or some shit. Um, it was stupid. It was ridiculous. The only interesting part of it, the only part I actually liked was that Friday cliffhanger back in September where Kristen's like, Gwen, they're having an affair. And she's like, I already knew that. And I thought like that could have been very soapy and great. But then Emily O'Brien exits a week after that scene and is now Teresa, but she's also Gwen in the same episodes. And this is just a mess. I mean, this is ridiculous. Uh, it's part of the reason Peter Port got my worst actor and Greg Rickhart. You were not too far behind. Um, it's just, I I'm done. This isn't entertaining to watch. Um, I'm sorry. It's not. Um, I don't know what Ron thinks he's doing because this was a problem that I can't even blame Albert Alar on. Um, but it, it's a no. It's a no across the board. Um, I, mean, I doubt Albert Alar was like, put Peter Ford on the lace front. Yeah, I doubt that. Not Peter Ford's out of a job. No, I mean, Greg so. Rickard, whatever. <laughs> whatever. Greg Rickard was on the lace front, not Peter Ford, but. You, oh, you, just gave, I probably just gave Ron an idea. Oh, shit. You did. He's going to come back. Peter Port's going to come back next year to play Vivian. So, mm. yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just, this was a no for me. And honestly, I was thinking about the Bowen Hope story, but at least that gave me two actors that I really love. It was still a shit story, but um, at least I can't say there was any necessarily bad acting going on there because Christian did show up. So, and so did Peter, but, um, Tiggs, let's go to you. Worst story of 2023. What's your pick? The Bowen Hope story. You hyped it up 
to be this big epic thing and, and it started off a little rocky i'm like um okay all right but i was feeling the energy i'm like okay all right all right and then you give me the worst back from the dead story i've ever seen on television you brought Bo back from the dead just for him to be an asshole for three weeks and then when he finally gets himself together he gets shot and put into a coma by his son so now for the last eight nine months Bo is languishing overseas in a coma ain't no telling when or if we'll see him again or he wakes up I, I just I don't understand the logistics of it. I don't understand the behind the scenes, whatever happened with it. It's bullshit. It stinks. And it kicked off a very, very horrible year for Days of Our Lives. Horrible. And I hope Alvilar is somewhere shitting out Rusty Nichols. And King Corday can kiss my ass too. That was a giant fuck you to the Bowen Hope fans, Days fans. It was. It's like the Beyond Salem was so promising. You're like, okay, when they come to the mothership, we're gonna have a ball game, and then they promoted it heavily. And I would give credit where credit's due. Rodrigo, you were right because you called it at the beginning of the story. He said, I ain't feeling this. I don't know. And I'm like, that's right, why we go just give it a chance. Give it a chance. <laughs> give it a chance. And look what it's like I said, the worst back from the dead story I've ever seen on the television show. Ever. They brought no, Bob Brady back from the bed just to put him back in a coma. Like, like, <laughs> I was like, you, like how was, do you, like But you think this was worse than what we endured with Phyllis? Yes. Yes. yes, you know why? Yes, because, because because we, we waited, knew, we, knew, we figured, wanted, we waited, and you know, we never really knew if Bo would ever come back. But then when it when it came back, when Beyonce Salem was wonderful, I'm like, oh, Peter, Man. I'm yeah. like, he better be fucking alive. And they and hyped he it was. up. And I was they so hyped excited. it up. Excited, and yeah. then we and then we waited. What God? Six, what, eight long months to get the pickup to this story. And this is what we got. Which they promoted. Because, like I said, we all knew every, Phyllis Spectre Dell. Who the fuck cared? There was Phyllis doing some dumb shit like Phyllis does. But this was but, Bowen Hope. But this, this is Bowen Hope. Like, we oh, have okay. been getting the shaft to this oh. couple for the last decade, Casey. I watched show, but you know why I also didn't pick this as my worst story? Because we all know the truth of why it was so bad. And we should say no more about that. But let's just say that if they had the chance to maybe do what they wanted without input, then maybe it could have been some of it. And if they couldn't do what they wanted to do without input, both should have stayed dead. Steve Burton shouldn't have came back and Hope should have just been paired with someone else. Shoulda, woulda, coulda, Casey. It was, uh, it was. It, no, it was bad. It, it was, was authorized, bad. and it made it on the air, and this is what we yep, done. Like, yeah, it no, there's no excuse. The there's no excuse. None. They promoted it. Day of days. They they put Chris Peter Christian out there. The big old the promo the promos and all that shit, knowing they have filmed some dumb bullshit. 
because that shit was already filmed. By the time they strutted them back out mm-hmm. to promote it, it was already filmed. They already knew that the fans and, were not going to like what we were They knew see. nobody was going to like that fucking story. <laughs> and then the fact that neither one of them were invited back when John Aniston died. The fact oh. that Bill Hayes is 96 fucking years old and we won't have him much longer. And we're probably never going to see him on screen with Christian Alfonso again. It's shit like that. And it's unexcusable. Inexcusable. Yeah. Well, and also don't forget about what they've done to the character of Sean because of that story. So I'll get to that. I'll get to that later on in this podcast. Wish they could have taken that story. Had they kept those actors, they, that storyline could have been something. But yeah. Oh God. Yeah, it, it was bad, but and I'm just saying, like, I'm not excusing how bad it was. I'm just saying we all personally know on this podcast why it was so bad. And yeah, it still made it to air and everything, but we all know why. <laughs> and that person should also count their days and not be on Twitter celebrating every 24 seconds about, oh, this is the best material I've ever done. Let me stop, though. Um, anyway, let's hop into our next set of categories. And these are two categories that we will merge into one, basically. So, Alan, let's start with you. Who do you think was the best executive producer of 2023? And who do you think was the best head writer? Best uh, executive producer based on... I'm sorry, I have a cracker in my mouth. But yeah, best producer is I don't want to say particularly just based on how Gage looks. Best writer, just because he hit Alan Park with two stories this year. Just for, ugh, I hate saying that, but whatever. Let me swallow this cracker now. <laughs> I know, and I'll just get it over with because um, it pains me to say it, but yes, best head writer. Um, and then best executive producer. I I have no shame in saying this because I kind of explained it on an earlier top five. But best executive producer, I will go with Josh Griffith actually, and I don't mind saying it for that. Um, I thought the lighting on the show was really good. We introduced sets again, like the GCAC and the Abbott's backyard. Um, they kind of pushed back the walls a little bit on the Newman Ranch, thank God, so it no longer looks like a studio apartment, now like a one-bedroom apartment. Um, There were some classic music cues in there. Um, Waiting to save all of that money up for big, huge returns for the 50th anniversary. Um, Getting fan favorites back in long-term story, like Michael Damien. Um, So, yeah, best executive producer, I will say Josh Griffith. Um, Rodrigo, what about you? Best executive producer and best head writer? Well, my best executive producer is always going to be Frank Valentini at General Hospital. Yes, Frank Valentini at General Hospital. Yes, say what you want to say about the man. I'm going to keep saying it as long as I'm going, my I can breathe. I know y'all hate to hear it. But this band keeps the show under budget. Yes, 
I keep saying that, but in a in 2023, to keep a soap opera under budget is a miracle. And this man has been doing this for a decade, even at One Life. He knows how to save money. He's not problematic. And let me emphasize that he's not problematic. The only problem people have with him is his parking lot choices of of actors. There you go. Sometimes, (laughs) yes, I will bring that up. The only problematic thing is his choice of some actors for certain roles. And apparently, you don't need to do love scenes on this show, which people are upset about. But hey. He ain't an hour alarm where he's making fun of people and making people scared and threatening people's lives, allegedly for their jobs and whatnot. You're never going to hear a bad thing from these actors about Frank. Even when he fires them, they have something nice to say (laughs) about Frank Valentini. So that's why he's my best. Best writers (sighs) for a year where writing was questionable on all four shows. But, God, I have to give it to my GH boys, Chris and Dan. And the only reason I give it to them is at least, and I know, you know, with the 85 actors that have on this show, whatever, the last couple of years of this show has been, uh, vet heavy as far as who's leading these type of stories. Like Anna Devane is leading like a lot of these storylines. And you'll see the Cassadines and um you know Ket, you know Ryan Chamberlain and Heather Webers and all that stuff. Like history still plays out with Chris and Dan. Yes, they have problems with getting and landing the plane on these storylines, but they will show a vet. They will showcase veterans on this show. They just need, and hopefully, you know, coming back from their, from, you know, from the strike, when their material starts airing, they had a, a, a fire lit under them, like they did with the COVID break, where they can come in and give me at least a good year of solid storytelling. Um, but yeah, Frank and Chris and Dan, those are my best. All righty, Tiggs, what about you? Finish us off here, best executive producer, best head writer. Mm. Child, yeah, you gonna say <laughs> something? All this dead <laughs> ass time shit. There's a gun to my head, but I gotta say, Josh, but like bringing back the GCAC and, and you know, Mamie and Danny and the Cameron story, now the uh, Jordan story. And he, he hadn't totally fucked up the show this year. I've seen worse out of him. So I guess. Yeah, because Frank, uh-uh. I'm tired of that same old excuse. All of these shows are being kept on the budget. That's why they all still on the fucking air. It's a million executive producers that keep that fucking show on the budget. That's Frank Saving Grace. We've been seeing it for 15 years and it's old. And Chris and Dan are fucking Nakam poops. 
You know it's bad when I'm forced to pick Josh Griffin. It ain't none of these motherfuckers been right this year. My Lord. Well, for worst executive producer, can we all agree, Albert Alar? Yeah. 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 It goes without saying. Yeah, fuck that fat fuck. Yeah, my my talking shit about my Juliet, bitch. Teddy bear looking ass. Yeah, and it pains me even further. Like, we we don't have a lot of us like behind the scenes in high positions like that. And to see this man just, oh, disgusting, disgusting. He should never be hired anywhere else in the industry. In, at Shake Shack. Not if, yeah, McDonald's, nowhere. You keep your ass at home, sir, and your non-writing life as well. You all stay at home. Don't come out do nothing entertainment anymore. No. I hope her ass is not white writing either. <laughs> He's she I hope she was she fired too. I hope she was let go too. Anything alarm should not be anywhere near days of our Period. 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 Mm-mm. Oh Lord. Well then let's move on to the next category. Oh Lord category. Worst head writer. Um for me, my worst head writer pick of 2023, I've got to double it up. It is Chris Van Etten and Dan O'Connor on General Hospital. Um, I tuned out long before the strike started because they just have this issue with keeping momentum building and going. Um, I felt as though GH was darn near flawless from February to April, um, and through most of May. Um, and then it just started falling off slowly as the rest of their episodes aired prior to the strike beginning. And, um, we saw a huge number decrease, um, from the 60th anniversary celebration. Um, and Rodrigo, I hope you're right. I hope that they will kind of get back to what we were seeing when they returned from COVID and how good the show was then, because they clearly have it in them. And I think that's what's most frustrating is we know that they have it in them um, to be good. But yeah, it's just it's been very rough to see GH have all these highs in story and then hit lows so fast. Like, there is, like, not even... When GH goes low, it goes low. There's no, like, safety break, no nothing. Like, at least to me, like, with The Young and the Restless, when Y&R had that very rough summer, it to me, just for me, um, it had a very gentle decrease before shit hit the fan really bad in August. Um but yeah, it's just like with GH, I'm tired of that. When it's bad, it is really, 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 really bad. Um, things don't make sense. Characters on the canvas. It's like, I just, I don't get it a lot of the times. Um, but hopefully, like Rodrigo said, I also have faith in them that if they are going to keep this job, hopefully they'll return much, much better. Um Rodrigo, let's go to you. Worst head writer. 
Brad Bell. It's always going to be Brad Bell with me. I'm always going to be on that neck year after year after year. Brad Bell. The man plays too damn much in people's faces and viewers' faces. He thinks we're stupid and dumb as fuck. He will change history to fit a narrative of a of a storyline he's telling now. He will tell you that two plus two was four. He'll tell you that two plus two is four. The next day, he'll tell you that two plus two is five. That's how much he tries to play in your face as a viewer. And I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. This man should have been retired a decade ago. When Susan Flannery left, he should have been right at the door behind her. That should have been his last storyline was Stephanie's death. And we could have started a new decade with somebody else because I'm tired of it. I'm tired of flip-flopping storylines. I'm tired of you being good for two months and you want to be horrible batshit crazy for another six months. I'm tired of the flip-flopping. I'm tired of the trips to freaking uh, Colorado, to Vail in the summertime. I'm tired of going to Rome for sweeps when you need some ratings. I'm tired of you just like hiring any type, hiring these, getting big brother actors on here or getting like dumb cameos. I'm tired of it all. I'm tired of Brad Bell as a head writer on The Bold and Beautiful. It's just, and like, I get you own the show and nothing can be done to you, but for the good of your show, you need to step down. Like, seriously step down because I don't know what I'm watching on this show. Like this show, as much as I hate it, I still get forced to watch. It's like I maybe that's the power of Brad Bell. He knows he why he he writes bad television, but he does it in the way that forces you to come back to see what else he's he gonna do. And I'm just like, it's we want to go through another year of Brad Bell storytelling on the Bold and Beautiful. Like it's it's old, it's tired. You got Heather Tom running around doing background work, a six-time Emmy winner supporting dumb shit. I'm like, no, no. Well, like it, the show is almost 40 years old. It's like move this bitch along to somebody else. Move <laughs> like, it along, give it to somebody else to do it. Like you need to pass the torch. Brad, even your father knew when it was time to pass the torch. God damn. Like all the rides you have on staff that you can train. You got Lauren St. Victor right there. There's a young writer you can turn this show into that could probably he probably has ideas that can bring this show into the next century. You know, that can incorporate technology finally on this show. Like it's it, it's it's a lot of shit that Brad needs to let go. Like he should be this man should be on all your lists as the worst writer. I'm sorry. This man is so bad at his job now. It is horrible what he's done to this show. It is asinine what he's done to this show, what he's allowed to do because he owns this show. So then you just allow him to do whatever fuck he wants to do. And it's stupid. It hurts the show. It's a laughing stock. It may work in Europe, but right here in the United States, this show is atrocious. I'm sorry. 
Yeah. Well, Alan, let's go to you, worst head writer. The only reason I'm not picking Ron Calafati is because of Albert Alar. There were clearly decisions made that weren't Ron's decisions, even though there's enough percentage of this the decisions were Ron made to be kind of peeved with Ron. But this year I'm going to pick Chris and Dan because shit like Esme's Amnesia, that Eddie made shit, making need of a fucking town. Fucking Piata again. And di- fucking, oh, the, the SEC. Oh, she turned him in. Fuck you. Stupid shit. I'm so fucking tired of him. They better keep me right up their fucking jaws or depend on it. Now I'm sure start staring again because they can be fired and it'll be fine. I'm sure there's other head writers would love to have their jobs. Mm-hmm. What was the reason for SV having a niche fucking year? Who did that benefit? It didn't help SV as a character. It didn't benefit any other characters. It didn't really generate any good story for anyone. Not even Sprina. But that's been a fucking anchor on them. Yeah. Back to you, Casey. <laughs> no, I totally agree with you. It's like they just make these really odd choices. Um, Pigs, let's go to you. I know you had talked a little about Chris and Dan, um, but were they your official pick? Uh, no, they weren't. And you and uh, Adam pretty much shitting on them enough. So I'm going to go with, with, you know, I'm going to go with Rodrigo, Brad Bell. And I'm going to say the same thing uh, Alan said about Ron. Yes, Ron has his problems, but that was mostly Albert a lot. Now, under Janet Drucker, if you fuck up next year, Ronald, you're out of here. But, yeah. And, and especially with me going back and watching Vogue from the beginning on YouTube, I I don't know what the fuck comes on every day at 1230 on CBS, but it's showing the fuck ain't what I'm watching. Not what I'm watching on YouTube. Going back and retconning shit you wrote not bringing back Kristen and Felicia and Rick for this Eric's dying story, which is god-awful. Being stubborn and keeping Torsten K. as rich for a decade when he has no fucking chemistry with Catherine and Kelly Lane and you don't want to leave him with the people he actually got fucking chemistry with. You successfully recast Taylor and you sideline her. Other time has nothing to do. Like, God, thank God for Annika Noel. Sheila has been running around doing nothing. I can see if the last two years she was poisoning shit, poisoning people, and sicking Dobermans on people and shit like that. The only Sheila thing she did, goddammit, was shoot Steffi and Finn. She ain't been doing shit. It's just, it's it's ridiculous. And then it, y'all have the biggest budget out of all of these shows. You can still afford to go overseas, but you go overseas. Okay, Finn and Steffi's big reunion. Okay, that was cute, whatever. But a lot of times y'all be going on location for dumb shit. When's the last time we had a legit, beautiful fashion show? Not that bullshit that Eric and Ridge did a few weeks ago. God, I, I, I think just last week or so ago, we were watching like the Queen Mary scenes and the show and everything. It was gorgeous. 
And you ain't even got to do nothing on that big of a scale. Brad Bell, let them shoot on your property. Take them to your house if you don't want to rent out a venue or some shit. Tell them to go to your house and shoot outside of the fucking back. Put a one-way down, motherfucker. Then y'all having all these family dinners and gatherings and weddings in Eric's living room, which ain't even the size it used to be. I can see the motherfucker wasn't as big as it was back in the day. That fucking set was huge back in the day. And it makes me mad because you have the money to do it. Yes, the other three soaps, they, them niggas are struggling. They're struggling. Motherfucker, you got residuals. You got international money. And I also blame CBS because, yes, you may be the watch, most watched soap opera in the world, but at the end of the day, you're on the air because of America and CBS. And Margot Wayne needs to be over there doing her motherfucking job and giving him a support some appropriate network notes because obviously she ain't doing shit. I'm like Rodrigo, I just, you like I said, you know what soap is so bad when you got to go back and watch the shit from the beginning back when it was good. That's terrible. Terrible. And there's no excuse for it. Like None. You, you come from a, a, a soap dynasty, sir. You've been writing the show since darn well the beginning of this day of the uh, of this show, you've been there. You you learn under your father, and like, and you write this show as if you don't give a fuck how you write it each day. And it's like, thank God that you have people like Michelle Valjean who knows how to still how to write good dialogue, and and I I'm looking forward to her coming back because I can I know. You could tell when is there when there's a Michelle Valjean day on on Bold because shit makes sense. Characters are supposed to be who they are. There's a difference. There's a tone. Yeah. But like Brad there's as a whole is just and Bold is a good. It is a good show. It is a great soap opera. Like like those the shows that, I, that Texas is watching and then when. You, and when you you go to the belief stuff with Brooke, and I always go back to Brooke. Like I hate the way Brooke is written right now. Because I always say, if you were a new viewer of the Bold and Beautiful, you would look at the character of Brooke Logan and be like, "Why is she on the show? Why is she a dumb bird? Why is she a dumb blonde? She has nothing to say in this equation." But when you watch the old shit of Brooke Logan and how she took over that company. And, how and she even, was like, even before that, we go. She took her, yeah, how she took her job as a chemist seriously. Like she, she has was, a brain. She was going to Chicago and overseas to do presentations and work studies and shit like that. And you always saw, even if she was crying over yes. it, that bitch was in that motherfucking lab working. And Brooke, yes, yes, Brooke is a hoe. Yes, she gets men to sleep with whatnot, but she was a smart hoe. Okay, she knew how to play the game, the long game with these men. Okay. It's and not her fault. It's not her fault they wanted to fuck. Like that's bro, her coochie. And, 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 and she was pretty much, and she was pretty much driven to it. Cause I, I'm at what January of ninety now. And you know, where's your Carolina got married and Felicia then came and you know, she having dreams of killing Stephanie and now Stephanie then passed out and shit. And like, you know, and, and everything Stephanie said to her and did to her and did to Beth, it all accumulated. And Brooke just said, fuck it, I'll take your man. Because I think if she never would have fucked Eric and had Rick and Bridget, her and Stephanie eventually would have been all right. 
But when she did the ultimate getcha gotcha and got Eric, Stephanie said, I want to slit this bitch bro. Because mm. now, now, now you fucking with me now, bitch. And that's what's missing. It's like, Brooke, like this whole Eric thing, I hate the way Brooke's written in this. Like, she is sidelined. She is taking every word Richard says. She is not, she's, she should be. And, in and that's so stupid. It's like, she should yes, be in that's, his son, that's his son, but Brooke, you were married to the man. You have two children with the man. He was your very first husband. And he's always been your biggest champion. Yeah. And this is what I'm talking about writing. Brad Bell, good setup, but this execution it, it is horrible. Yeah, because even from the very beginning, like, Eric is always adorable. And he even back when she was being respectful and yeah. still calling him Mr. Ford. So she, he had to tell her, Brooke, please, please call me Eric. <laughs> like, you know, like, he's always adorable. And hell, Donna, too, for that matter. I mean, well, all three of them. Like, he's always adored all, all the votes. The only ones he ever had a problem with. He, he, well, he never really had a problem with Steven like that. But there was something about Brooke that Eric always had Brooke's side, no matter what. Like, there was, he always yeah. seen her and things. And Brooke vice versa, too. So that's why Brooke's lack of POV in this story with Eric dying, and she's just the wife. Well, she's acting mm. like. She has to agree to everything Ridge says about her. No, Brooke should be like, no, I was married to this man too. Yep. I, Rick and Bridget are my children with him. And he should be alive. There should be a conflict. It should be a fight. None of that is happening. Exactly. And then Brad, it just Brad, on, on deaf ears with Torsten K. Like I said, yes, I, he's been there a decade, but he has never felt like Rich to me. He never will. It's just like a like, if, if Eric really does die, this dipshit supposed to be the new patriarch of the family? This motherfucker? Would have bothered a hell of a lot more if it was still Ron Moss. Yeah, if it was <laughs> Ron Moss, it would be totally different. Yeah. But, but the way I'm doing, like, hell, put Winsor Harmon back on contract. Let Thorne lead the family. Because Ridge doesn't deserve it. So what? He's the oldest. He doesn't deserve it. How are you going to bring back Thorne for like two episodes and then the actual climatic hospital stuff? You leave Thorne in, out of that? Of all the hospital drama? It, it's hmm. so it's ridiculous. It's so Bridget, stupid. A doctor? Bridget? It's not in the hospital scenes. Which Bridget, like... The story should have started off with this being a secret between Eric and his daughter, Bridget, as Bridget was on the DL administering care to her father, trying all these experimental treatments like yeah. that would have been very soapy. And as Bridget tries to investigate and get to the bottom of what's really going on with Eric and that would have been soapy. But Bridget comes in acting like she's never gotten her medical degree. Well, no, I will appreciate it because, like I said, it was one of the only times yeah. I felt Ashley Jones' original. Ashley she Jones, went the she fuck off. She like, y'all are crazy. Dad's dying and y'all super and like, ain't shit going on. What is wrong with y'all? Yeah. And Riz and Brooke just looking at her stupid. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't you do that to my Brooke Logan. You can do she, that she, to I saw that scene. Catherine Kelly Lane looked high. Shit. And she probably was. I don't blame you, girl. 
At this point, Catherine is just collecting her residuals and her check. Catherine <laughs> want to be at home with a glass of wine and her fucking caftans watching um Law and Order rerun. Shit. You ain't about to do that to my work, Logan, though. Um, but anyway, yeah, let's move on to um worst primetime show and best primetime show. Of course, you all know we try to do our cute little primetime chat uh, throughout the seasons. And so we're presenting the primetimers with this award. So, Alan, let's start with you. Alan, what do you think was the best primetime show of 2023 and then the worst primetime show of 2023? Well, this show was really primetimers on streaming. Poker Face, great show. Kind of a mashup of the premises of Columbo and Mercy Road, where every show you see who the killer is, and every show you see Natasha Lynch something on into a situation where she's there's a bit of murder happened, like on Mercy Road. So I highly recommend it. Poker Face on Peacock. Worst, another streaming show, Wednesday. Even though it technically <laughs> came out last year, but whatever. I tried it out, didn't like it. The writing, last year, it's supposed to be supernatural. Why is she having these fucking visions? So fuck that show. <laughs> I love how you said it came out last year, but I watched it. So here it is. <laughs> I, I think it should have been more of a dramedy series. Like they should have really modeled this version of Wednesday after Christina Ritchie's version. Yeah, it was like just... that was one of the reasons why she was so popular in that role. Like, because Wednesday was real about shit, but it was fun. <laughs> shit. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, best primetime show for me, I, this was hard. I mean, I had a lot, I mean, it was kind of a really good year for shows. Um, but I've got to go with one of my all-time favorite primetime shows, Only Murders in the Building. I thought the season with Paul Rudd and Meryl Streep and Broadway takes center stage. It was just freaking amazing. It was funny as all get out. The mystery was better than ever um, for this third season. And it was just really good. I mean, in the chemistry between uh, Short and Martin and Gomez continues to be like the best thing about streaming shows right now. Um Absolutely loved it. Worst primetime show. I was really disappointed in this one. Um, it was a show that I was looking forward to a lot. Um, and I know it was on Hallmark, but it had gotten like so many good reviews. Um, and that was a show called The Way Home. It's got Andy McDowell in it and um, Tyler Lee. Um and it had this really interesting premise of like how these generations of women connecting. You do see flashbacks to the past and the present and the future. And it reminded me very much of that Meryl Streep movie, The Hours. Um, but then I turned it on and I sat through about 20 minutes out of 42 minutes of the first episode. And that shit was just awful. I was like, well, damn, Hallmark, you run out of a budget and everything. I mean, shit. No um, travel show. Yes. That's too yeah. ambitious for Hallmark. They should do something else. Way too ambitious. That shit should have been on Hulu or something. But yeah, it was just, it was horrible. And I'm like, how did they get all these good reviews? <laughs> did you pay people? Um, but yeah, it was just, it was not what I was expecting. And I was like, oh, I really love 
Andy McDowell. I always have. And so I was so excited. And yeah, no. Um, Tiggs, let's go to you. Best primetime show and then worst primetime show. Well, best primetime show is on streaming. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, Unfrist. Loved it. It was uh, so good. <laughs> it was. Terry Washington did such a great job. I love Daryl Roy Lindo. Uh, just the premise of the show was fabulous. Uh, the Really the best part of the show, that goddamn Brenda Strong. Talk about an actress. If anybody watched Desperate Housewives or watched Dallas and how she was always the long-suffering heroine, Oh, you will love her on this show. She's so fucking trashy and funny. It's ridiculous. It, it's just, I, I, I just, I love the show. I, and Tim Bailey's on there. You know I love him. You know, he's a dick on, you know, private practice, but I still love him as an actor. But, like, I, it, it was only eight episodes. It's renewed for a second season. I love, because, I, you know, I wanted to watch it because it's based off the life of Tracy McMillan, who created the show. And you know she um is a uh she's a psych a psychologist or or yeah I think she's a psychologist and she's a relationship expert and she has a show on own called Family Fiance and my work me and my boyfriend love that fucking show and y'all know I'm not big on reality shows but I love that fucking show and I'm afraid that since this show that blew up we may not get that show back but I'm hoping we do but it it, it was just such a breath of fresh air and just seeing pages outlook on how she was raised and how her father spent you know 17 years in prison and him getting out and getting to know his daughter again and his granddaughter and and, and Paige being estranged from you know the woman who raised her who was Brenda Strong's character Nadine like that was like you know they were never married there were Lindo's character and Brent Strong's character. They they dated for a long time, off and on, all that stuff. And she was only pretty much only mother figure that Paige had. And, you know, Paige and, and her cute high yellow mixed son. And you know, it, it just it, it's so cute. It's like I couldn't picture nobody else but Carrie Washington playing this role. Because Carrie Washington has this thing where you compare her with a white boy and it's okay. It, it doesn't. Rodrigo, as a black person, you know what I'm trying to say. It doesn't. It doesn't give cool. You know what I'm saying? Like when she was on Scandal and, and and stuff like that. It doesn't give that. Sometimes when you have certain black actors and they're paired with white actors, you kind of get a certain cool mentality about it. Kind of like a self-loathing thing about it. <laughs> Crystal Khalil, <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> But yeah, just stuff like that. And I, like I said, it just, overall, it was a wonderful show. I hope we get the show back for at least 10 episodes. I don't know this eight episode shit. See, Issa Rae started this shit with Insecure, and I don't like it. Damn, can I at least get 10 episodes? I ain't even asking for the 13 we used to get. Shit. They give us, oh, four episodes. Limited series, or season one, five episodes. What the fuck is that? I'm just, uh, by episode five, I'm just now remembering the fucking character's names. I need a little bit more. But yeah, um, my worst primetime show is The Idol. I didn't watch the show, but I saw all the reviews for it, and it rightfully so got canceled. 
HBO and Warner Brothers need their ass for pumping so much money into that fucking show, and it bombed. I don't know what's going on over there at Warner Brothers. Like, them merging with Discovery and all that was the worst thing they could have ever did. They have absolute fucking idiots running shit. They're running DC into the ground. I know Alan's ready to rip the rest of his hair out for the stupid-ass decisions they make. The best decision they made is the whole Tubi deal. And I just, I don't understand it. I just don't. But yeah, I saw those reviews for the idol because I was going to glance at it. I'm like, okay, well, because the weekend, he alright. Okay. Cocaine aside, whatever. I saw the reviews, and I saw a couple of scenes. I said, oh, oh my, oh. 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 Mm-mm. I'm like, baby, turn put, 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 put it on YouTube, baby. You're not watching this shit. No. Yeah, that's my worst. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Rodrigo, let's go to you. Best primetime show and the worst primetime show. Well, I guess I'll be the boring one. I mean, still my best primetime show of 2023, even though we've had had a strike-filled season, but I'm just going off their last season is Abbott Elementary. It still holds off well for me um, as far as comedy and writing and I'm so looking forward for the show coming back February 7th. Thank God. Um, we're going to have at least a season this year. But Abbott just, that's a show I miss. That's a show that the second season just, with the guest stars alone, especially Taraji P. Henson playing Janine's mother, just topped, <laughs> topped my whole year because she just, she killed that role. Um, it just made it the best for me. And I can't wait for season three. Um, the worst primetime show, I'm going to take it to a reality show for this one. And that's the Real Housewives of New York reboot. Um, there wasn't a reason for it. Um, I've missed my old girls, Sonia, Luann, <laughs> Ramona, them hot mess bitches. I miss those old ba- those old bitches, Dorinda, all them girls, uh, which they'll be on Ultimate Girls Trip this week on Peacock. But still, there was no reason for this reboot. I didn't care for these girls, these new girls that came in. It started off promising, and then it went where I thought it was going to go, which was nowhere. Um, so this is this. You can't miss, mess with a good thing. And hopefully for next season, they go back to basics and maybe invite a couple of the old girls back because these I, I can see them invite a couple of the old girls back. Yeah. It's just like, Rodrigo, it's just like, I mean, if Ramon and them will stop being so fucking racist and problematic... <laughs> they will still have jobs. Yeah, we knew who she was anyway. Like shit. But, but she's but she's gotten progressively worse, Rodrigo. But still, okay. At, we least, don't at least like over the years, we're really keeping nice nasty. Give me my Louis. And, and now she just Sonia, she just don't do fuck no more. My drunk ass Dorinda, like give me those girls, like give me that at least. Oh yeah, I love me from Dorinda. I mean, I love <laughs> I love Luann, but Luann was getting on problematic too. So it's just like you know. And I think it was also like kind of an experiment because these Housewives fans they want to they want to reboot every franchise every goddamn year. 
So I guess Bronco was just like, okay. We're going to do it. And then you see the results. But at least I can see some girls trips with some of these old school ones. So hope. Yeah. They just got to go back to the drawing board like they did with Miami. Like yeah. Miami was a fucking graveyard. And then, you know, they retooled the do bid. Take, take they two retooled the bid. Yeah, take two or three good ones. Yeah, they, they retooled it. Put, yeah. put it on Peacock. It got a lot of buzz on Peacock. And, and it earned its place back on Bravo again. And I think that's what they should have done with this one. is They should have kept a couple of the girls. Added a couple of new ones. And just rebooted it like they did my. I mean, yeah, I agree where we go. Like, because you know, they say that every fucking year about Atlanta. And it's just like, you can't reboot and recast the entire fucking cast. Like, y'all always talk about that shit. And it's like, y'all, why? So y'all can talk shit? Because y'all ain't going to be satisfied. And then everybody wants to wish for Nene to come back. Nene is not fucking coming back. Anytime she's asked about that show or Rob or Andy, she puts her foot in her mouth and digs her grave every time. She's never coming back. It will take a conversation between her, Andy, and a shit ton of lawyers for her to ever come back to that show, and she's not. So get on. Especially the way she had her ass talking shit, all that bullshit on that podcast with Bethany about Andy and shit. I'm like, look, Bethany can talk that shit because she white and the bitch worth a hundred million dollars. Nene, you a big wide back black bitch and you only worth ten million dollars. If you're still worth that. You can't do the shit that Bethany did, unfortunately. She don't need Andy for shit else ever in life. Lord knows you do. Because if that's the case, she could have shopped a, a new show to another network. Why she ain't on own? Why she ain't on we? Zeus won't even touch her problematic ass. Mm-hmm. Oh, goodness. Well, Rodrigo, I thought that was interesting. You picked a reality show. I liked that. Um, well, let's move on to something we give out every year. And it's named for his love of delicious-looking people that we just can't get enough of. And that is the sixth annual Alan Serapa Award for Hottest Soap Stars. So, Alan, of course, kick us off with your namesake award. Matthew Atkinson. Very handsome. And Thomas has had hope sporting all over Boris Croatia this year. So I feel like he's deserving. He's been a lot of love this year, so... He gets to be hottest this year. Thanks God, Matthew Atkinson is playing a role, not Adam Gregory, who didn't ever want to do love scenes or T-shirt, allegedly. <laughs> fucking Jesus. Oh, Jesus, I want me to show my nipples, allegedly. Oh, my Lord. Not Jesus didn't want me to show my nipples. <laughs> oh, my God, Alan. Oh. <sighs> Well, Rodrigo, let's go to you, my dear. Who is your pick for the sixth annual award for hottest soap star? Hottest soap soap star, no hotter than Zuleika Silver of the Young Wrestlers. She had me questioning myself <laughs> a little bit because I'm just like this lady. She's sexy. She can act. She's one of the best finds that the Younger Wrestlers has had in years, soap operas ever had in years. Audra is just that character who is just no nonsense, very sexual, and doesn't like 
make no qualms about it, which is very refreshing to see. Um, you know, someone not ashamed of their sexuality and will not be slut shamed by anybody for doing what she needs to do to get ahead. And and she's just gorgeous. She's hot. Like she, you could put this girl with anyone on that show. She has chemistry with all those men. The only thing I I would say, her and Travis St. John, we need to stop that. The Tucker and Audrey shit is disgusting to me. <laughs> That's the only nasty part of it. I'm just like, ew. But other than that, Zuleika is, I don't know where they found her, where, but she's one of the greats, one of the best finds in daytime. She's and just gorgeous, gorgeous all around. Amen. Well, coming in for me for uh, this year's Soap Star Award uh, is Paul Telfer, Days of Our Lives. I mean, I've got to go with our man who visits us once in a while here on our show. Super nice guy, but obviously drop dead, just handsome. Um, all the time they have Xander taking his shirt off on this damn show, it saves an episode for me. Um, and I also loved Paul's chemistry this year with Nadia Bjorlin. I just wish it could have gone on a little bit longer and that they could have built that romance between Chloe and Xander more. I thought they were smoking together. Um, and of course, you know, they had Paul's shirt off a lot during that. Um, so yeah, definitely Paul Telfer for me. Um, Tiggs, let's go to you. Who is your pick for hottest soap star? Jay Eddie Pig. Talking to him last week, he was so kind, so gracious, so sweet. Like I said, it feels like Cole never left. Like it's been 25 years and, and you wouldn't have known. And just for that man to still be looking like that at 65, this man is a senior citizen. He can get Social Security, and he looked like that. And I have the proof. I've seen the man. I've seen him. That man had on a baseball cap, looking sexy and rugged, no makeup. His son had to get better lighting for him so we can really see him better. That man fine as hell, 65 years old. This is why DILF porn exists. That's my point. Yeah, he was. He's still handsome. I can't say that for everyone who's ever sixty on soaps. Oh, okay, like, like it's just so crazy that that, that this man is sixty-five. Sixty-five. I didn't know he was sixty-five. Okay. Yes, he, yes, he's a year younger than my mother would have been. My mother would have been sixty-six. He's born in nineteen fifty-eight. Exactly. How the fuck do you look like that? Yeah. Oh, absolutely amazing! And also, as we all know on this podcast, just like the nicest guy in the world. It was such a pleasure to have Jay on our show. Well, let's get into an award that we've been giving out the last couple of seasons. It's another Alan Serapa namesake award, and that is the third annual Alan Serapa Award for Hottest Primetime Star. Tiggs, why don't you kick us off with this one? Hottest Primetime Star... Well, um, you know what? 
I'm going to go with an actress. Like, I haven't seen the show. I need to watch it. But I saw so many wonderful reviews. And I see this little girl's uh, name and picture on my timeline all the damn time. But uh, Dominique Fishback from the uh, show Swarm. And, you know, I've seen a clip or two. And she's really good. That girl is really, really, really good. And like I said, now the day goes by where I don't see somebody talking about that child on my timeline. And it's a shame for God that she was nominated for no damn Golden Globe. But yeah, she will. will, Yeah, I'm hope. Hopefully, this is just beginning for her career. I want nothing but the best for her. She totally deserves it because, like, like I said, the scenes I've seen with her in it online, that little girl can act her motherfucking ass off. So I would say Dominique Fishback. Good pick. Well, Alan, let's go to you. Your hottest primetime star. Who are you giving it to? Very handsome and very blowable. Charles Delton. <laughs> very blowable. He's now a Golden Globe nominee. He's probably getting nominated for an Oscar for May, December. Though he is a primetime star because he was, he was on Riverdale, which is thankfully now over. <laughs> oh my god, you in Riverdale. Oh Jesus. Well, for me, okay, my Alan said they should have they should have ended that shit when Luke Perry died. Shit. Uh, great that you interrupted me for a joke. <laughs> um so okay. Um, <laughs> me and Tracy Abbott will just sit over here reminiscing about Colleen just in case you got anything else to say. Oh fuck you, Casey. <laughs> Well, my award goes to none other than the amazing, uh, fabulously uh, underappreciated, one-of-a-kind Karen Pittman, uh, known for her work on The Morning Show and in Just Like That this past year. Um, I absolutely love Karen Pittman. She is great on social media. Um, she is a fabulous actress. She has a killer body. Oh my goodness. Like she did some risky scenes in the Sex and the City spinoff and was just fabulous in them. Um, and I think she is one hell of an actress who can do the dramatics of the morning show. She can do the dramatics of and just like that. Um, but she also plays great comedy. Her comedic timing is everything. Um, so yeah, I'm going with Karen Pittman. Uh, Rodrigo, what about you? Hottest primetime star? Uh, my hottest prime star, primetime star is Matthew Balmer, who is on Fellow Travelers on Showtime. And to our daytime community, God in Light, and our primetime community, White Collar, and he is just the hottest thing right now. On this show, I'm hooked on Showtime's fellow travelers. Um, it's just a sexiness to him, just, <laughs> just, mm. and I didn't even know this man was gay when I was watching White Collar. I didn't even know he was gay the whole time. I just thought it was another, like, you know, straight white boy, good looking white boy, um, on primetime, and I found out he was. He was in the community, and he was married, and he got kids, all this shit. I was like, ooh, 
Why, why did you say it like he lives in the same neighborhood as you, the community? But he is so commanding in Fellow Travelers. Like, he is like, it is one of my favorite shows this year. Uh, and he's just, because of him, he just get to see him naked every week. Uh, <laughs> you get oh my to God. This experience, good acting, he's just good looking. He just, he's, he should be talked about more, especially as a gay actor in Hollywood. Like, this is one, it's a great role for him to play. So he's, yeah, it's Matt Bomer for me. Nice. Well, let's head into our last award we give out before we jump into our final three categories of the night. So the last award that we give out is the fifth annual chat award. So this can be given to anybody in the industry um, for a special recognition um, throughout this past year. So primetime, daytime, writers, actors, whatever. Um, so, Rodrigo, why don't you kick us off? Who is are you giving your fifth annual chat award to? Um, this one, I don't want to be a Debbie Donner, but this one is kind of like a tribute to uh, just the soap actors we've lost this year. Um, just want to give them recognition for the work that they left us with. So, you know, Sonia Eddy and Jackie Zeman and Billy Miller, Tyler Christopher. Um, Andrea Evans. Andrea Evans. Um, Nancy Frangioni. Um, God, we've lost so many this oh, year. We've lost so many great ones. Um this year, I'm sorry if I forgot anyone, but it's just been a tough year for daytime. Um, but I just want to just recognize those we lost this year, um, that we didn't forget them. Thank God we can, <clears throat> excuse me, we can go on YouTube and watch <clears throat> the work they left behind. Um, so I just wanted to like just give that special recognition to them. Amen. Well, Rodrigo, kind of thinking um, along those same lines, my fifth annual chat award does go to the cast and crew of ABC's General Hospital. Um, they suffered so many profound losses um, this year, but yet no matter the state of the show, just forgetting that, just the fact that those people continued to show up Monday through Friday to film a show, to put out 255 episodes this year, to still try and give fans a 60th anniversary, to still, you know, all those actors going on social media to still promote the show. And in the wake of such great losses in Tyler Christopher, Jackie Zeman, Sonia Eddy, Billy Miller, Nanika Garland, and just suffering so much so thank you to the cast and crew of general hospital for still giving us a show every single day because that cannot be easy to go through those losses and then you come into work the next day 
to be somebody else, to separate your emotions entirely and act as your character. If the story is wacky or dramatic or funny, um, just amazing. And definitely a lot of actors at the top of their game there. Same with the writers and the producers and directors and production assistants. Um, and may all the people that we've lost this year um, and all the people they've lost continue to rest in peace. It's never easy to lose somebody, no matter how big or small of an impact they made on your life. Um, and I also just, I rarely have honorable mentions for these awards, but I also want to give an honorable mention to the memory of Ellen Holly, who we just recently lost. Um, the, dubbed the first black star of daytime television um, with her amazing portrayal of Carla on One Life to Live. Um, I encourage everybody, if you've never done so, uh, please go find a copy of Ellen's book that she wrote many moons ago, um, whether it be on Amazon Kindle or if you find a way to get it at a library or something. Um, it's One Life, the autobiography of an African-American actress. So please, everybody go read that book. Oh, YouTube uh, or TV Academy. Interview. Oh, yeah. Oh, that interview, Rodrigo, the best. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my yeah. gosh. That interview is so much knowledge. Yes. God bless Ellen Holly. Thank you, Casey, for reminding me. Yes. Yeah, of Ellen course. Holly. Oh. <laughs> Well, Tiggs, let's go to you. Who is getting your chat award this year? The cast and crew of Days of Our Lives. The fact that they had to endure eight years of that son of a bitch, Albert Alar, while Ken Corday stood by and let him wreak havoc on those poor people. And the only reason he is ass out of a job was just because it came to light. It's abominable. If it would have never came to light, that son of a bitch would still be there. Just being a fucking piece of shit. So I, I, my, I shout out to all y'all who signed your petitions, who came together, who banded together to get that son of a bitch out of fucking Dodge. Janet Jug Drucker, I know you inherited a shitstorm, girl. But I'm hoping that, you know, by now it's been four months, you're settled in, and you're ready to do some shit, girl. Please give me my hourglass back in 2024. Because all I got now is a fucked up ass snow globe full of sand. And I can't see shit. Well, Alan, what about you? Why don't you close us out with your choice for your chat award? I guess, okay, he'll take himself off mute someday. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Alan said, no, I had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you are so done. We're going to keep this in. <laughs> Who gets your word <laughs> award, Lord Jesus? I mind the same as Tiggs. Cast and crew of Days of Our Lives. Is they had to fucking deal with that shit with that 
disgraced executive producer who should have been fired years ago, but Ken Gray couldn't get off his ass and do it. But they had a fucking deal club for years. And they finally spoke up. And now his ass is gone. So kudos to them, and hopefully now it'll show him to be a healthier work environment. Amen. Well, let's get into our next category here. Our episode is almost done. But before we get to our last two categories of the night, I love this category because we simply get to look back on the whole year. We get to think really hard from January to now. In our opinion, what has become the most memorable or shocking television news headline? This can be daytime, primetime, streaming, everything in between. So, Rodrigo, let's go to you. What was your pick for most shocking or memorable TV headline of 2023? Oh, I guess it goes without saying Albert Lawrence firing on Days of Our Lives and the whole backstage drama coming out. I mean, this, this made headlines in major publications, entertainment shows, you know, all over Twitter. And, you know, the fan backlash was was heard around the world. Like, people were very vocal. The, 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 the cast of Days of Our Lives came together to get this man ousted. Um, they weren't playing around. And that's one of the first times I've seen a cast come together like this on one accord to get rid of somebody that's making their life a living hell behind the scenes. And you could tell when you watch this show, you know, with some of the body language and some of the things we know with certain scenes that happened with certain actors and how they were treated. And, and some of the, it's one of the reasons I can't really watch the show knowing that these actors, especially this last year, have been put through so much hell from this man, and nothing was done about it until, you know, the article came out on the subject. And I think that's when that's one of the good things about Silk Twitter is when wrong is being done especially to our actors and the people behind the scenes, we come together, you know, we put, put aside the petty shit and we come together and we speak out and we tweet the networks. We make the phone calls, we send mail or we write or whatnot. So this was a big story in 2023 that made it to the mainstream media. And it doesn't happen a lot, especially in soaps, especially today. But this was a big story that made it today and made big changes behind the scenes. And now you see a new executive producer, Janet Drucker, and you see new hope and you see the cast like, you know, happy to go to work and they are being asked about storyline direction and 
you know, being a part of the storytelling again. And and it's 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 a new day on the set of Days of Our Lives. So it gives me hope for next year that this show will turn around and will go in a bigger and better direction. And this headline just said it all for daytime. Yeah, I agree. Um, it, my pick was also the investigation into Albert Alar and learning about everything that was going on at Days of Our Lives. Um, a special, very special fuck you to Kenneth Corday, of course. Um, I, sir, you're just, you were so great. The things I heard about Ken Corday from people in the know. Yeah, it's okay. Um, I, you know, judgment day is always going to come, right? Um, so, yeah. Uh, but Albert Alar, I think, is one of the most disgusting human beings on this earth. Um, I think about Judy Evans, and I'm not going to say poor Judy Evans, because that is one strong, legendary, beautiful woman. Um, and I'm not going to give Albert Alar the satisfaction of bringing her down even more but what that woman went through and then to become a target of a predator of a sexual harasser of a disgusting looking man um, I just I'm so glad that Judy can now work with somebody that she trusts um, and by the way I thought she killed the look of that jumpsuit Um same goes uh, with what we heard that where he just fired these people out of nowhere, women and men. Um, I hope we see Martha Madison again. I hope we see Nadia Bjorlin again. I hope we see uh, Brandon Beamer again. Um, and I hope that they get to return and do what they love acting in a safe environment. Um, I also hope that now writers are protected, producers are protected. Um, and King Corday, let's just hope you apologize to your cast instead of working on your concerto, um, at a broke down looking concert hall. Um, so yeah, Rodrigo, I agree with you. Uh, Alan, what about you? Most shocking or memorable TV headline? The unnamed executive who said he'd be, they'd be waiting till writers started losing their homes to negotiate and get a deal for a writer's strike. That was simply heartless and cruel, and I'll never forget that. So fuck that unnamed person. Yeah. That that was rough. I just I had to sit with that for a moment because I remember that so clearly. And yeah, oof. Well, Tiggs, why don't you finish us out with this category? What is your pick for most memorable or shocking TV news headline? I mean, it was a, of course it was a headline, but I was just caught off guard when you told me, like when you called me. At nine o'clock on that Wednesday night, and you told me Jackie Zeman died. I was like, Jackie, who? Ja Jacqueline Kennedy? Oh, she's been dead. Jackie Zeman. Like, it took me, I, I was in shock. 
I couldn't believe it. I, I, that, and then, and then, and then Billy Miller, and then Tyler Christopher. I'm just like, what the fuck? I, I just, I, 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 I still can't, can't believe. It. Like it's been seven months, and I am not ready. For them to finally address Bobby's death. I'm not ready for that. Because I know as much as Carly gets on my fucking nerves, Laura Wright is about to act a motherfucking ass. And I'm so happy that Leslie Charlson's back, and I hope she's included with that. You know, just, you know, Lucy and, uh, and Laura, and oh God, and Scott, oh God. It, it's just, it, it's going to be a lot. I hope, hopefully, Ryan Carnes can come back as Lucas. At, oh, God, and Maxie. The whole baby already in debt, which is a stupid-ass fucking story. But, uh, I, I just, I'm not ready. And I, I just, it, like I said, it, seven months later, I'm still in shock. It's just, it's been a month since Tyler Christopher. It's been, what, shit, God, it's been three months since Billy Miller. And it's just, it's still so unbelievable. And it's like, of course, it's like people get sick, you know, things happen, people die. But when it catches you off guard, it's just like, what the fuck? I mean, because you're shocked when, when you know somebody is dying and they die. So for it to come out of nowhere, it's just like, what? What you mean? Like, Casey, when you told me that about Jackie Zeman, my heart dropped to my ass. I, I just, I couldn't believe it. Like, the Albert of our stuff was shocking, but it wasn't too shocking because we had heard bits and pieces. Well, I've heard bits and pieces over the years. I just know it was that horrible. Yeah. May Jackie Zeman and so many others continue to rest in peace. Well, let's head into our final two categories of the night, which of course are best daytime drama and worst daytime drama. So, Alan, let's have you kick us off. Alan, what are your picks for best daytime drama and worst daytime drama of 2023? Best is going to be Young Restless, even though a lot of this year was linked in the series. We did have those two good stories, so I had to vote like it was here. Worst Days of Our Lives. What a fucking chore to watch. Horrible. Burt noise. Hopefully it's better next year. All righty, Rodrigo, what about you? Best and worst daytime drama. Oh, my God. I had GH was my best until this Claire Gray storyline on Young and the Restless and bringing back Colleen Zink to daytime just cemented this over the other stories, all the, the other soaps. So it's Young and the Restless, Josh Griffith, 
Man, you were not on my best nothing this year. <laughs> you were not until you came up with this caper. And you made me forget about a lot of the stank ass shit on the end of the wrestlers. And just you putting Melly Thomas Scott front burner again, getting her away from business where she has no business being, Nikki Newman. And, and bringing her alcoholism back, bringing Eve Howard's history back, bringing Victoria's, uh, you know, past back with Cole and the baby and bringing Cole Howard back. You know how many times we've been talking about ways to bring back Cole Howard on the show? And all of a sudden, we get a J. Eddie Peck headline and he's back. Just amazing. So Young and Restless... If you submit this material next year for the Emmys, they will win. Um, my words, it's bold and beautiful. Um, without saying, the worst writer should have the worst show. So they go hand in hand. So I've said enough about the bold and beautiful. Can't say no more how horrible that show is. So I'll just leave it there. All righty. Well, I, Alan, I share your thoughts exactly. My best daytime drama pick does go to The Young and the Restless. Um, of course, I mean, the Nikki story and Aunt Jordan and Claire and Victoria Cole and Victor. I mean, everything with that. But I also really enjoyed how the show celebrated its 50th anniversary in style. I thought that whole two weeks, everybody looked fabulous. Um, I love that we had the athletic club back. Um, I thought the returns were very strategic. Um, and I also love just little bits and pieces throughout there. Like I'm getting my Danny and cricket back, which I love. And Laura Lee Bell looks like she's having a lot of fun. Um, it's great to see Veronica red back after all these years and, in the front burner story. I know the story is none of our favorites. Um, but it's so lovely to have a legend back such as that. Um, and just hot moments as well. Uh, Zuleika Silver, I mean, she is the gift that keeps on giving. There's a reason Rodrigo named her as his hottest soap star. Um, I just loved a lot about The Young and the Restless this year. And I know there was a rough summer, but there were really good winter months from the start of the year to now. Um, and so I'm really happy that I can finally say after naming it the worst for so long, um, that it really earned that best soap opera spot, uh, worst daytime drama. Of course, like I said, Alan and I share brain days of our lives. Um, I'm playing catch up, um, for Ariane Zucker. And, um, that's because I kind of just missed, uh, having the show on because I really hold days of our lives very close to my heart. Um, and so I did miss seeing Deidre Hall and I miss seeing Mary Beth Evans and James Reynolds and all those cats on my screen. And so I wanted to tune back into the show because I missed the essence of, you know, watching days of our lives, but it is, Oh my God, Janet's got her work cut out for her. This was a horrible year for the show with very, very little to love. 
Um, and so let's just hope that Salem gets good again. Make Salem great again in 2024. Uh, Tiggs, let's go to you. Close us out, my dear. Best daytime drama and worst daytime drama. The Young and the Restless is my best daytime drama. Like I said, the, between the Cameron story and the returns and, you know, Aunt Jordan and Claire and everything. Josh, you pulled yourself out of the fire for now. I still would welcome a new EP and head writer in 2024. You want thin ice, bitch. But for now, I'll let you leave. Worst soap days of our lives. Like, like, I didn't think it could get any worse when they gave us the worst murder mystery in daytime history with Abigail last year. But they topped themselves with that Born Hope story. And all the bullshit Albert Law was pulling, the, the way Leo and Dimitri were gay-ass caricatures, Alex being an abomination, them turning Stephanie into a shrew, like uh, making Edmund Crumb this psycho for no reason, them, them picking up the whole Susan story, like EJ went damn near a year, and then all of a sudden, oh, Ava has to pay for killing mother. You ain't thought about Susan in six months. Now we back on it. Harris Michael still being on my screen. I don't give a fuck. Ava being raped. Gross. The way Gabby was written out. Gross. The way they had, you know, uh, Talia doing a white man's bidding. Gross. The way an Asian woman is going to get thrown under the bus. Stone stealing Nicole's baby. Gross. The Hortons being non-existent, inexcusable. Like all those decisions on that, those were choices, very bad choices. So I hope Janet walked in that motherfucker back in August, had some comet, had some Clorox, some Dawn and some Easy Off. And got to motherfucking work. Because there's a lot to be done. And you know, Ron's been back since September-ish. I'm just praying that hopefully by Easter we start seeing small improvements. And then by summer, we back in business. One of the only good things I can say about days this year is that the show is still on the air. And I adore the cast and crew. Well, that concludes our best and worst of 2023 episode. We hope you enjoyed this look back with us. And we hope that we hear some of your picks on our official Twitter and Facebook accounts. You can find our show on Facebook at the chat show podcast, and you can also find us on Twitter at the chat underscore podcast. You can find me underscore case 1999 and takes, where can our listeners find you? The been master part two. Wonderful. Alan, what about yourself? I'm Alan Saratha and Part two, my best of the worst should be up next week on the pop break.com. 
<laughs> nice. And then Rodrigo, what about yourself? You can find me at Rodrigo's World 81. Awesome. So we all know that you are used to this being our final show of the year, but we do have one more episode to go. Join us next week as we discuss the 50th annual Daytime Emmy Awards, which you can watch live on CBS this Friday. And you can also stream it live on Paramount Plus with Showtime, or you can wait the very next day to stream it on Paramount Plus with Showtime. So we'll see everybody next week for our final episode of the year. Bye. Bye, y'all. Bye, motherfuckers.